Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey, it's Scott Lips, and welcome back to another edition of Spin Magazine's Lip Service. My next guest is an American singer and songwriter and the frontman of the rock band Filter. He rose to fame as a founding and original member of Nine Inch Nails and member of the band Army of Anyone. He is Richard Patrick. Joining me in just a moment, Richard Patrick of Filter. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots tagline is highest quality, honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, and gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. They've been featured in all the best fashion press, from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. More importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for a great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. You'll love it. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. All right, welcome me to the show, the one, the only, Richard Patrick. How are you, my man? I'm, I'm very blessed to be here. Thank you very much. Of course. It's great to have you here. I was just checking out some of the shows you did with Nine Inch Nails. Incredible. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's been like 30 years since you've done shows with them, right? A very, very long time. Since the turn of, since before the turn of the century, I think. It must have been incredibly emotional, I would imagine, right? It was insane. If you listen closely to Eraser, <laughs> I was crying when I first came out. It was so emotional. It was so unbelievably emotional and amazing. And I cannot stress uh, enough how amazingly generous Trent was and everybody with their Atticus and all the guys. And, and, you know, everyone learned Hey Man, Nice Shot, my song that I wrote that kind of split us up a little bit. And, um, you know, I I uh, I was just absolutely in awe of of how gracious and amazing Trent has become as a as a person, and it's just awesome. Interesting. It's, I mean, that show was like two years in the making, right? And then with yeah. COVID and whatnot, I believe it got pushed back. But tell me how the whole thing came about. I want to obviously get into your history and Trent, unpack a lot of stuff yeah. with you. But. Trent came out. He just he sent everybody a mass email that was involved, and he said, "This is what I want to do. I want to play a concert." in Cleveland where we, you know, along with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction and everything. And I want um, uh, everyone to come out for, to play these five songs, including Hey Man, Nice Shot, which was just unbelievable. Amazing. And we started the ball rolling. Well, that show got canceled. It was supposed to be at the Nautica stage in Cleveland. And so it got canceled. And then he announced another show in Cleveland and I said, hey, remember that <laughs> idea you had? Like, 
a, a ways back about playing the show in Cleveland. He said, let's fucking do it. Let's do Cleveland and um, at Blossom Music Center, which is another huge place because that's the place where I grew up in Cleveland that we went and saw all our favorite bands. You know, we went and saw New Order and Depeche Mode and, you know, uh, all the rock and roll, all the festivals that came through, including the first Lollapalooza. Yeah. Where I jumped out on stage, came back with nothing but my combat boots on. (laughs) And um, so playing Blossom was a huge, another massive emotional thing. And... um, it was just the most amazing concert. Like it was, uh, it was. We, you know, we played. Hey man, they shot. Like we played. He said, "You're singing the second verse and had like a whole incredible." You know, and I got to sing. You know, that's a that's oh, yeah. a hugely important song for Trent. And Definitely. he just he just you're singing. The, the, you know, the the second verse to hey, to had like a whole. I'm like unbelievable. It just felt unbelievable. It I, was yeah, I was so telling you before I, in the hallway that uh, you know out of all the shows I've ever seen in my life, it was definitely the greatest rock show mm-hmm. I've ever seen at Jones Beach some years ago. Yeah. So I, I imagine it's incredibly. I mean, you get a call like that, and obviously you guys have kept up your friendship for many years. Yeah. You've stayed in touch, but still, when you get a call like that, are you thinking, hey, it's kind of come full circle for me with my friendship with him? Yes, totally. I mean, we've been talking for like twenty years, uh, you know, just as friends, and you know, w- when the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing went down i was just absolutely blown away and i told him i was super proud of him and he's like well you're playing you know we, we got to play this this show together so it, it yeah the the friendship is is amazing and and uh, it's just awesome you know nine inch nails is the shit yeah it, no matter what like you know no matter who you are nine inch nails it, it has a huge like just amazing spot in in the world's culture and uh, he 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 has kept up the name and kept up the the music and he's done an amazing job. He I can't say anything more good about the guy. He's just he has brought it for the past thirty years and and just made amazing music and it's 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 I'm super proud to be a part of the lineage that he has created. Yeah, incredible legacy. I want to get into that. There's so much to unpack, obviously. Take me back to the beginning. The show is a little bit about your history, obviously how you grew up, and we'll get into Filter. Mm-hmm. A lot of We were just talking a little bit about Army of Anyone and a lot mm-hmm. of your side projects, even scoring music and, and the new record, of course, we'll get into. But yeah, initially, you grew up in Needham, Massachusetts, right? I was born in Needham, and then two weeks later, I was moved to uh, <laughs> uh, Atlanta, Georgia. So I acquired a Southern accent at the age of, you know, zero to around five when I left. And then we moved, my dad moved quite a bit. We moved up to Cincinnati, Ohio. Then we moved to Detroit, Michigan. And then we moved to Cleveland, Ohio. And that's where we stayed for a number of years. We stayed there and that's where I kind of grew up was in Cleveland. And what was the music you grew up? I know later on in life you got into Skinny Puppy and a no, lot of the things that connected you. Immediately. Immediately. There was there was a focus from my brother Robert. Uh, there was a focus on punk uh, early on. He he told me this is the Clash. From now on, you will listen to the Clash. And I'm like, okay, Terminator, you're like, <laughs> you're right. I will, you know. And I got into the Clash. And what? How old were you when you were into that? I was probably 12, or, or right around there. And so, were your parents into music? 
my dad was in the he was the the trumpet player for the Virginia Tech Orchestra. So oh, he was great. first chair. He was really great as a, as a, as a, you know or you know classically trained trumpet player. Um, but my mom wasn't necessary. My mom could sing. She could hold a tune, but she wasn't like, you know, really trying to be a singer. So your brother was really the one that turned you on to all this great music early yeah. on. My brother was like, take the Kiss record and move it over here. <laughs> and now we're going to listen to punk rock. And this is this is The Clash. Enjoy. And maybe a little bit I of just Bowie. Did, I just did you a favor, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and oh, Bowie and, yeah. you know, all the other, and a lot of Led Zeppelin. And, and there was still, you know, rock, rock and roll was, you know, primarily what he gave me. Rock and punk rock and, you know. And what was life growing up for you like in Cleveland at an early age? Um, It was, it was crazy. It, you know, we didn't have, I mean, like, I saw something online. It was I was Generation X, and it was just like you know. My dad got me a ten-speed bike and said, "Good luck, have fun." <laughs> and we would drive around all summer on our bikes and go down to the arcade, and play video games all day and get into trouble. And like you know, <laughs> like <laughs> like good luck, you know. Yeah. So it was it was very freeing. I mean, you know, school was one thing, you know, doing school, and then like, but like after school, it was just a free for all. I could go over to Buzzy's house and and Justin Justin uh, Mauer's house and and play guitar over there. And and I started playing guitar when I was nine, so I had the guitar I was always carrying that around and and uh, I was always way into music back then and I think my first band back in 1979 was called Heat Haze mm. and, uh, and what was that music like it was terrible <laughs> you know it was just a bad bunch of kids I have feedback yeah solos and right. you know just a lot of noise and you know we did a we did a couple uh covers of uh of uh, like uh, I don't know we we would play um, uh, Amy by I, I think my fifth grade talent show I I played the song Amy by Rick Nielsen oh, amazing and then some some Who covers and uh, uh, but yeah just a lot of noise a lot of a lot of craziness and at certain point there's like a scene almost that starts to form in Cleveland you have a band called the Act right mm -hmm. and and Trent ends up having this band which I guess was sort of awful called the Exotic Birds the Exotic Birds they were not terrible it wasn't awful it was musically sound right. I mean they they understood verses and choruses and bridges and stuff like that and for Trent to be involved in it even at 18 he 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 had a sense of what was he going on. He had a sense that it was like, this is okay for now. Like, he, he quickly, you know, he was like, this is okay for now. I'm going to do this for the fun of it kind of thing. It's and probably the most un-rock and roll name, by the way, the Exotic Birds. The Exotic Birds, I mean, yeah. It's like it, it's, it, was, it, was, it was bad. Yeah. I mean, it, but, but in all fairness, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't, like, embarrassingly terrible. It was, it was just kind of bad. You know, like kind of goofy. So your band ends up actually opening up for yeah, his my band. band <laughs> my <laughs> band opens up for this band, and I'm yeah. I'm 16 at the time, and I it was called the Act, and it was with my buddy Paul Rosinko and and Dave Soleil, and um, I was this kind of the default singer just because I was the only one who could sing that we knew. And um, it was you know I was by then I would found U2 and the digital delay had crept into my life and uh i was playing all that digital delay guitar stuff like the, the edge, edge. Yeah. and um uh 
pursued that for a while during high school, you know, kind of hung out with, met Trent at Pi Keyboards and Audio. And, uh, and when you first meet him, is there an instant connection or is he like, I've seen your band? He said, my manager was just here and he said, hey, Trent, your little brother's here. Right. And he goes, I don't have a little brother. And he goes, yeah, who's that? <laughs> and, and and it was me. And I was just, you know. You do look just, a little like him. We, I, we, we looked, uh, yeah. especially yeah. when we were younger, it was it was a family resemblance. <laughs> yeah. It was like, it was like. Uncanny. He literally could have been my brother. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, so we. We, our friendship started then it was and i i think he had sold me some uh, equipment at the pi keyboards and audio. oh he worked there he worked at pi oh, okay. keyboards and audio and um and then yeah we just kind of hit it off from there and then ultimately you start shopping for a deal with your band yeah. and i guess it doesn't go so well and you start to get into some darker music whether it be ministry or skinny yeah. puppy right exactly i you know the 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 take uh, the filter you know music was not necessarily as as heavy as i wanted it to be and it wasn't necessarily as cool and when we got turned down by labels i was just like what is happening and trent was like you gotta start listening to different music and <laughs> you know like get into different stuff and so dave soleil came over with the land of rape and honey by ministry and it was just absolutely everything had changed. Like there was two times in my life before ministry and after. Like it was, it was like wow. I had no idea heavy, mean music like this could be created with essentially drum machines. Yeah. And and samplers and you know because for the most part I figured that was Depeche Mode's you know world. I did and and so many other bands that were pop, like you know. Uh, Gugu or whoever you know like yeah. just so many pop bands use synthesizers and it was really it was Skinny Puppy you know when Skinny Puppy when when I and Trent took me to Skinny Puppy he was like you gotta you have to see this and I was already like convinced that industrial music was the shit and um, he we saw Skinny Puppy and he, I just remember being <laughs> scared to death. You know, it was amazing. Essentially, because you know? if you listen to some of your early work, like Soldier of Misfortune, you can hear the U2 influences mm -hmm. on it, right? Sure. And then later on, obviously, it got heavy industrial. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, so... so at Soldiers of Misfortune was like kind of peeling back the, 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 the thing of like, yeah, I am influenced by you too. At some right. point, it it, did, right. it it poked its head. It out. did, it did for sure. Yeah. So at some point, you decide. You know, Trent says to you, "Hey, listen. You know, we should really try this, and we should. You know, I'm, I'm working on this record. Let me play you this record that I'm working on." Right. And you checked it out when you first heard that that well, first debut album. He had called me several times, and we talked on the phone, and he basically was like, "We're gonna get a record contract. Like, it is not some unobtainable thing. Right. We are going to get a record contract." we and and it's like and he's like and i need to know like people are with me and there was a little bit of back and forth but then like now had you heard his music before some of in the beginning in the beginning it was like okay maybe this is maybe you know it was, it was very early on yeah. and he had a couple of songs that he had that, that there was a song called i want to believe and it was it was almost probably like lyrically it was almost like the first thing that that turned into terrible lie mm. but it wasn't didn't sound like that and um eventually he he went cold and like disappeared and i saw him again and he 
noticed that I had looked completely different. Like I was just completely, totally different. Black hair, nose but rings, just gothed out, or just <laughs> super gothed out, yeah. industrial, like you know, darkness. Right. And he was like, "What's, gotten, what's, go, what's gotten into you?" And I'm like, "I just listened to Ministry and Skinny Puppy and the Revolting right. Cocks and blah 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 blah." And he was like, "I think I have something for you. It's called Nine Inch Nails." And 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 he played me. A variety of songs and I had heard some of it he played like sanctified was one of his songs um, but when he played me head like a hole that was when I was like holy shit this is huge now these were the demos for pretty hate machine at that point right yeah, I heard I had heard the demos for pretty hate machine but when he played me and then he played me down in it which was the Adrian Sherwood mix sure uh, that was like another like holy shit like man you sound amazing and he was like really you like it i'm like yes this is insane this is so good and at some point he asked you to join the band right yeah he eventually was like do you want to come on as a guitar player and like sing backups and and you know and i was just like absolutely <laughs> right. like i'll quit my job today yeah. <laughs> you know, where yeah. were you working by the way uh as a telemarketer for a, a, co a company i can't even remember remember I, those I, days like the telemarketing yeah. days i used to because i was playing in a band in the the late 80s in la and every guy in a band was working as a telemarketer yeah. i don't know what the hell we were selling like light bulbs yeah, or just weird like sh you know cutting shears or whatever the hell it was, it was but. A, some kind of some kind of thing to fund your kids' college based on your real estate <laughs> right. assets. It, it was all like a scam. Yeah, it was a, yeah yes. probably a scam. <laughs> yeah. And um, so you quit this incredible career of telemarketing, <laughs> <laughs> and you yeah. and you go on to to play with him in this record, which ends up selling three million copies and one yeah. of the greatest records ever, I would yeah. dare say. So do you remember those early days and even the van tour days oh early on with Nine Inch Nails? What were I, those like? Do you romanticize about those days? Those days were the funnest days of our lives. Yeah. We were completely like, this is it. It's do or die. We have only one shot at this, and we're going for it full fucking bore. And it was like there was a, a an incident at um, the 930 Club in Washington, D.C., where he threw a beer at me, and I threw a fucking beer back at him, and the crowd went, yeah! And so the next thing we know, like, we're fighting on stage. <laughs> like, like a real like, fight. Like we start like fist fighting, fighting yeah. on, like, he would tackle me for no reason, and... and like it got violent and he would throw microphone stands at me and 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 it was just amazing. <laughs> now did you know he was playing around or did you he think I'm, I'm actually possessed. Really, right <laughs> you know like like it was it was it was it was just like it was over the top it was our pyro right it was it was, it was like it was your version of a kiss show I it guess, was right? it was because look at the mosh pit right yeah like the the the, the audience wasn't moshing yet they were standing there kind of like just like freak like you know just like whatever local show band. us what you got you know, yeah like at the 930 club there's only 30 people there and so like we wanted excitement so we started like bouncing off each other and like tackling each other and like pushing each other and and and, and kind of being aggressive and they started getting aggressive the audience would get aggressive and they would push each other and mosh yeah. and you know it was it was when moshing was you know kind of still underground and it was like yes yes it's it's we're a mosh band we're not like just you know just like synth pop we're we're moshing like, yeah 
let's make it a mosh pit. Even if you think about the infamous show, obviously the Woodstock show with the mud slinging back yeah. in there, right? He always probably had yeah. that premonition of showmanship. Yeah. And you know, we're gonna this we're not just gonna stand around and play our songs. It was, and, we have to do something extra every time. Exactly. And even in Lollapalooza, like the the only thing we could really do was he would he would fully tackle me, <laughs> like in the song Sin. Usually in the guitar solo, he would come up from behind me and tackle me and just with your guitar on, with my guitar yeah. on, and like fully <laughs> tackle me. Like, Fairly dangerous. A hundred miles an hour, like fully tackle me, and like he didn't. Yeah, he doesn't know this. <laughs> I don't think. But the right side of my body took so much abuse that like I started limping. And that limping gave me a huge back problem. And the next thing you know, I had to have back surgery because of all that limping and and the the how weak my right leg got. Uh, and well, I had, now I had to know. have a huge back surgery. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, and the, the the doctor was like, "Who? How long did you play football?" I'm like, "No, no, I was being tackled." By this guy Trent Reznor in Nine Shells, it was like it's a long story. He's like, "Are you an MMA fighter?" He's like, like, he's like "What the hell did you do to your legs?" Wow. You know, you know, during this time, I said it was it was like a brawl on stage, and he would throw shit. He would throw his microphone stand, and people would get hit. Podboy got gashed in the head. Like it was real. Blood was spilt. You right. know, like it was an absolutely crazy. You know, it was it it was no holds barred. Just total reckless abandon. Just well, it seems like he he also was incredibly confident in those early days that he was going to make it. Right? Because he said to you, "We're getting this record deal. It's not a question." Yeah. Did you know that record was going to go on to do what it did? I mean, I mean, we all hoped it was going to do good, but like we, we were we were so scared. And see, the the, the record contract that he signed was so oh, one sided. Yeah. It was such a bad. It's it's literally a, a case study at at a university here in town of what not to do as far as recording artists and mm. um because they but, basically signed his life was, away for he's he, he i don't want to go into the gory details but it was a very one-sided but it was the only record contract we could get at the time and like all these other labels were like you know kind of him and hawing and it was so hard to get a label back then especially because alternative music was not big but also, in a sense, you were sort of creating your own genre because yeah. Skinny Puppy was never a major band, right? Skinny, and Ministry was always underground, yeah. right? Skinny so. Ministry like made enough money to keep Ministry alive. Same with Skinny Puppy, um, and they were doing they were huge in our opinion. Like like back in the day, I was like, oh my god, to be as to be able to play clubs everywhere in the world, <laughs> right. like holy shit! Like uh, it would be amazing, you know. Like, but they never changed the game the way Nine Inch Nails went on to change the game. Trent, I think. I mean, I, 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 I remember conversations where Trent says we're going to be the crossover band that that like makes it. Like the man, Trent wouldn't necessarily say that, but the manager John Mom was like, we want to cross over and become main, like huge. We yeah. want to like. And and that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what they did. Yeah, talk sure. to me about the during. Uh, obviously, you end up playing in the band. Uh, I think you left in '93, but in yeah. 1990, there's this infamous snuff film that uh, you uh -huh. know, sort of hard copy did an expose on. Right. There wasn't really a snuff film. Right. But talk to me about the story behind it because it's a kind of fascinating story. When I started yeah. getting into a deep dive about uh, the history it's, of the band, it's very simple. What happened? Um, we were shooting the Down in It video. 
and in the back of an alley they had taken a super 8 camera and they wanted to create like a crane shot of the camera being pulled down you know basically you pull the camera down and in and run the film backwards and it looks like it's going up but it's it it looks like a a crazy way to get a shot you know basically and we were you know dirt broke making this video but like it was primitive it was very primitive yeah. and they had fishing wire <laughs> we remember <laughs> saying that fishing wire is not gonna it was like this plastic nylon fishing wire it was like it is not gonna make it it's like spinal tap with the stone hedge yeah. coming down on the so strings. they have this super eight they have these weather balloons these big balloons with the super eight camera and the and the the bad fishing wire well he lets it out and the next thing you know boom the fishing wire breaks and the camera's gone and it's like, oh, well, we have another one. Let's do it again. So they had another crappy old Super 8 video, uh, you know, uh, Super 8 actual film camera. We got another one. We redid the shot, and it, and it worked out, and we, and we used that shot. Well, this balloon travels all the way across Lake Michigan and lands in a, in a, in a farmer's field. With the camera. With the camera. And... The, the farmer calls the police and the police come and they f they they get this footage and they they've developed the, the the footage and then they they look at it and they're like oh my god this is like a murder and it wasn't trent was lying on the ground he's supposed to look deceased and i'm behind i'm like coming i had to walk backwards you know because the camera was going up but like um it's the footage looks insanely suspicious and they're trying to figure out what it was. So they get the FBI involved and they realize, holy shit, like you can see an L train. Uh, this came from Chicago. They and they get all the way down to the to the alley. They find they start asking questions about who's in this alley. Well, the props guy we were shooting it at his studio so the props guy goes oh my god this is <laughs> this is in the nine inch nails video footage that took off that day this is you know this isn't a murder this is well they're like well we want to verify that this isn't a murder do you know who the guy is and then it's trent reznor from nine inch nails and <laughs> so they track him down and they they i guess they called him and said are you alive are you are you healthy is this is this what happened but like you know, Trent thought it was hysterical because yeah. it was like making a fool out of the the media, uh, the out, out of uh, well, no, and the, the police, and the, the authorities, police. Yeah, yeah. the authorities. Yeah, but um, I I can't believe you know, like it was just one of those things, and it was you know, it just it got on hard copy, and hard copy was like CNN back in the day, yeah. or Fox News back in the day. It was like you know amazingly huge press and we were just, i was just like you were the luckiest son of a bitch like, <laughs> it is not a murder video it's a nine inch nails video it's a nine inch nails video <laughs> yeah so talk me through obviously the again the infamous 1991 Lollapalooza. you do that show it's i think you and ice teen it's mm -hmm. a crazy lineup back in the day do you remember that show like what, what are your memories of that show aside from being tackled oh, on stage from trent being tackled was the number one thing but it was amazing because my favorite record of of that era f was Jane's Addiction. Yeah, and to play a concert at five a.m. or no five p.m. You know we're we're kind of like right before they started lights. Like so we would go on stage, do our show, be crazy. You know it was a solid forty five minute set, 
and we were just super intense the entire time. Our merch was going crazy. Like they were like, it was, it was a very successful uh, time. But then on top of that, I'm 22 years old, you know, or 21 years old. And like, I get to be at this concert every night. (laughs) So for Jane's addiction, I would go down to the, to the, to the front of the stage where there's that moat, you know, and I would tip the security guards like 20 bucks each. And I would say, I'm just going to sit right here, make sure no one comes over and like kicks my ass. And like, <laughs> you know, and so they were like, cool, bro, f- from Nine Snails, great. And so I'm sitting there with a six pack of beer and a, pa- and, a, and a pack of cigarettes. And I'd watch Jane's Addiction every night for like, you know, 21 shows. Yeah. And it was that alone was just amazing because Jane's Addiction is still one of my all-time favorite bands. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to friend of the show, Perry. We, we love Perry. Sue and Dave Navarro yeah. and just and all these amazing characters and just like you know, I I was it was rubbing elbows with some really cool people and Perry Farrell. Yeah. You know, like he's just what's up, bro? Good <laughs> to see you, man. You know, like. It was, it was, it was, I know what you want. We'd smoke a little pot together, you know. You do a great peripheral, by the way. Thanks, man. (laughs) At some point, you end up deciding to leave the band. And it must Mm -hmm. be hard to leave a band like that, Mm -hmm. especially with the career trajectory that was going on. But I think there was sort of a disparity where, you know, Trent was living, let's face it, he was like living in a mansion. And then you're going back after the tour and probably like living with your parents. And it's kind of hard to, there's always the band where the, you know, the guy maybe who writes the songs is making all the money and the other guys are and and that's hard well it was amazing because after Lollapalooza we went to Europe and we played for Guns N' Roses and which was totally a nightmare because the Guns N' Roses fans of Europe did not get Nine Inch Nails and that was the the height of Guns N' Roses and we and we were feeling kind of shitty and but Trent you know I told Trent I was like you get to go home and you know live in new orleans and you get to rent an apartment down there or like rent a house and like i'm gonna go back and live with my mom and dad's house and in my mom and dad's house and trent looked at me and he said go write a record fucker because you were making like what in that during that time period like 400 a week or something something yeah something like 700 bucks a week or something like that like you know in 1995 money or whatever and he literally was like go go write a record like don't bitch go do something and so i was like fuck you I, and, he, and he looked at me and he was like he's like you didn't know whether or not to like be upset or like like actually do it but yeah and so i i i, I was like fine i am gonna go home and i'm gonna write a record and i'm gonna do the best i can and you're you're right i'm not gonna be a pussy i'm gonna i'm gonna fucking show up and, and do the work but he actually, he also said there's also a pizzeria down the street if you want that to get a job. That was later. Okay. That was a little later. So now I'm doing demos and I've, and I've kind of built up like some record company love. Like, like there was a record company, Warner Brothers, that wanted to sign us for like a million dollars and it was like a, a big deal. And Trent really didn't know that. And... Um, now, were you still in the band at this point? I was, or you'd still, already, okay. I was still in Nine Inch Nails, but I was still kind of waiting for him to write the record, you know, like to do everything because that's the way he preferred to do things. And so he invited me out to L.A. to get ready for the tour and also to to hopefully contribute to the downward spiral. And I was really like into it, but I, I, I had started to really freak out like 
personally, I was just like, I felt like I, I had reached my limit in the band and I wasn't really sure like uh, what I was, what I wanted to do at that point in my life. And, um, I also was broke and I lived, so I didn't live with the band at the, at the Sharon Tate house. I lived with my brother, Robert, and I decided like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to see what, see what it feels like to live with my brother, Robert, and then maybe check in. Well, when I got into LA, all of a sudden my demo tape, you know, had gotten me a manager, a lawyer, and I had gotten a record deal with, with Warner Brothers. And now, had you already written Hey Man, Nice Shot at that point? Yeah, I had already written Hey okay. Man, and I had like 10 other songs that I had. And the, Warner Brothers was like, we're going to sign you. We're going to sign you. So I'd secured this record deal. like, And then the manager of Nine Inch Nails, John Malm, and bless his heart, and he admits to saying this to me, <laughs> that he said this. John called me and was like, hey, you haven't been to the house, and we know you need some money. Is there any way you'd want to try? There's a driver's job at the pizzeria. If you want to go make some extra money there, there's this little pizzeria that needs a driver to go deliver pizzas. And I was like, after everything we had been through, after everything that we have had accomplished in Nine Inch Nails, that the manager of Nine Inch Nails was going to call me up and literally offer me a job like literally hot tips on how to become a pizza delivery driver. I literally was just like, fuck you, dude. Like, how dare you fucking say that to me? Like after everything we've been through together. And that was when I was like, I quit. And by the way, not encouraging, right? You're in this band that's about to break. And he's like, the, hey, you know, this band was breaking. Yeah. Like we were it was it was going to be even more huge, like because of the downward spiral. But it was already I mean, you said it yourself. We the Pretty Hate Machine sold three million copies. So it was already breaking. Yeah. Like It was already a huge thing. But I I I I didn't know how to. You know, I didn't I, it wasn't the best way to leave. Mm. Like it wasn't necessarily the way I wanted to leave. And I in in hindsight, I would honestly say that I would li like to have done both. You know what I mean? Stay in Nine Inch Nails and do filter. But at the time, there really wasn't any way you could do a side project in, in Nine Inch Nails. And um, so you I, end up do you actually you play Hey Man, Nice Shot for Trent at some point, right? Yeah. And what did he say to you he, about the song? He, he was, loved it. He loved he, it. He he was like, "This is great. This is really great," you know. And and he actually, we demoed it at his house, and he gave me that. He gave me uh, his studio for a few days, and we demoed. So the the original tracks for "Hey Man, I Shot" were done at 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 the Sharon Tate Mansion, the guitar and uh, the vocals. And then the manager calls you and says, "Hey, you know." We like this song, but maybe you won't have publishing. Or is that how, what are the, how did the story? Little, go? Yeah, he was like, "You can't, you can't have the publishing for that song." <laughs> and the publishing for that song is is going to get my kids through college, right? Like, and and like, you're like, at that point, I just have I was to do like, my own thing. That was like, again, how dare you? Yeah, like, like, you know, this, and there were other people involved with the song, and like, you know, like it was already kind of like chewed up, and so I was like, I don't want. I, I they didn't I don't think they wanted to use it for the downward spiral or anything like that but like they were trying to figure out how they could include me a little bit more but like it was so convoluted and the other thing that really bothers me about it like our behavior collectively 
we were so drunk all the time. Right. Like we were, we were so drunk like the whole time, like back in those days. And our addictions were just insane. So well, let's so, talk about that for a moment. Cause yeah. obviously you've been sober now yeah, for how 20 long? Years. 20 years. So, yeah. and there's some crazy stories oh, about yeah. you on the plane. Take mm-hmm. my picture essentially yeah. was about a story that I believe you were like running around naked on a plane. No, or I something. wasn't running around <laughs> naked, but let's just say, Clothes were shed. Clothes were shed on a plane. Shed. Yeah. Right. And on, imagine on. if you did that now, you'd get like arrested. No, you'd be you'd be videoed <laughs> to death. Yeah. You'd be canceled, and then you'd be arrested. Exactly. Like you'd, you'd, yeah, it was bad. But like, yeah, I I was a, a free spirit when I was an alcoholic, and <laughs> I took my shirt off on the plane, and I just was like, you know, I just was being unruly, and somehow they were like, you're you're the singer and filter we're not gonna like call the cops but you're like you got to put your shirt back on you know it was just it was <laughs> right. just like my fame had gotten me out of so much shit like you wouldn't believe how many times my fame like kicked into gear and like they were like dude i'm not gonna arrest the singer for filter but you need to put your shirt back on but you need to put your shirt <laughs> right. back on well that was the first time I, I i had an ordeal on a plane the second time i was removed by swat for smoking I, for smoking yeah and and again one of the one of the police recognized me and was like let's just send him to the shri- the the psych ward at this this hospital in in outside of Midway airport and i went there and the nurse and this is a true story the nurse was like I'll get you out of this if we can go on a date. <laughs> and I was like, absolutely. Yeah. And then like a week later, we were trying to go on the date. And she was like, I think you're a little too crazy for me. <laughs> and I was like, you think? <laughs> you know, yeah. So what was the aha moment where you decided, you know, I really need to stop drinking? Because you, you you fell off stage, too. There was times oh, when yeah. like it just got overbearing, right? It so, was just absolutely awful Yeah. to be as drunk as I needed to be and functioning at the way I was functioning. It was, it was, it was, I got to a point <clears throat> where I was like, your dream of being a musician and singing in a band is nothing compared to your want to be wasted mm. and your, your desire to be high on drugs and drunk. And, I couldn't believe that I had actually gotten there and I was literally on a ledge like looking down uh, in this hotel room and I was looking down and I could see there was a patch of grass and there was also this like concrete and I was like well if I jumped just far enough I could if, if I jumped just right I could land on the concrete and end it but if I miss I'm gonna hit that grass that grassy knoll and I might like paralyze myself and so like that was the that was the level of thinking Mm. that i was uh, that i had and then i was like this is just absolutely pathetic like how can you have gotten this this where where drinking has just ruined your life this much that you're committing that you're thinking about committing suicide and so i i just canceled the tour i called everybody and said i cannot live the life i've been living and I need to go to rehab as soon as possible. Mm. And was there like an intervention that took place? No, at that point? there no. was no. There was there were so many interventions that I like caught wind of and right. like got got out of and and you know and uh, the, the what they were all 
you know, it's amazing because when you say, okay, I'm, 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 I'm thinking about quitting drinking. Like it wasn't like, oh, really? Do, do you think you need to quit drinking? Like, oh, maybe we'll quit drinking. You know, it was, oh my God, thank you. Sure. Fucking quit drinking. Yes. Yes. You have to go to rehab, whatever you can do. Like, like the, the crew, the band, like, you know, my, my road manager at the time, everybody was just like, thank God put him in rehab like I don't care that we just lost two years of touring and and it did and it was so bad for because we needed to really work the amalgamate the record the amalgamate and we couldn't do it mm. and it fell to the wayside you know and it didn't get the promotion that it should have because I couldn't work and the record company was run by Tom Wally and Tom Wally's like look if you're not working we're not working right so see you later yeah when you finally get in rehab, yeah. Well, I was saying when you finally do get sober and you start performing, it's got to be a whole nother world for you at that point. Uh, my first gig singing was I was singing "Whole Lot of Love" for Camp Freddie at the Pond, mm. and our it buddy was, Matt Sorum and all yeah, the whole Matt crew. Sorum yep. and Dave Navarro, yep. Yep. and so my first singing out of the box was singing "Whole Lot of Love." You know, like way up there yeah. you know you need cool that you know like way up there singing as hard as i could and it was just like and my manager said something to me at the time which really hurt he's like if you did that back when you were on tour with the amalgamate like you would be living in a mansion mm. and i was just like damn that hurt that's a wake-up call but yeah. it, it's also and it's a testament to 20 years sober yeah congratulations so yeah. But uh, take me back a little bit. I want to talk about one of your career-defining songs that we were speaking about, Hey Man, I Shot. The mm -hmm. shot, the, the, the song is actually about our uh, Bud Dwyer. Inspired by his public suicide. Yeah, yeah which is the craziest story. Yeah. This is a politician who, yeah. on the air, committed suicide mm -hmm. and one of the goriest, most graphic it's things you could awful. ever see on television. Yeah, it's awful. It was awful. And I honestly, I didn't, I didn't, want it to be a public thing that people knew about but someone from my record company at the time leaked it and then i was like on i was doing an interview for billboard and like the guy's like well it's about our bud dwyer and i was like it was inspired by our bud dwyer and you know i was 20 years old i never thought like anyone would hear this song i mean i was i was making it for like it's like well i hope it's cool my friends i'm i hope my friends i want my mean friends to like it and and you know and stuff so i wrote this song about our bud dwyer it's it's it's, it's kind of an anti-suicide kind of it's like a cautionary tale yeah, yeah cautionary yeah. tale like can you believe this actually happened yeah. kind of thing like and um it became this massive hit and his relatives were going to sue me and it was just like why you know like i don't i never mentioned his name and he this guy held a press conference and i saw it yeah. and wrote a song about it like you know what i mean like i i can't be you know you can't take away my first amendment rights you know kind of thing because back then you had all these uh, cassettes. It was like Faces of Death. and But that had, you actually had watched this live on TV at the time. I watched it live on TV when it happened. And then I saw it because my social studies class was had was watching it. And, um, and then, like, I saw the news footage. And they show the news footage in Cleveland. They showed it in two places. It was in Cleveland. And then it was in Philadelphia. But the real hard 
image that I got was the 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 it's there's a camera on the right angle the uh, from his right angle and it shows him falling behind the podium and that that footage was found at the Amok bookstore on Lollapalooza mm. and they gave me a copy of that when I was uh on Lollapalooza the Amok bookstore because back then you couldn't see stuff like that it was yeah. there was no online it was it was like do you have a, a, a copy of it like can you believe this this footage exists of this guy killing himself and, yeah you know it was just really 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 graphic and yeah it's tough it's tough for yeah. sure you go on to do this record short bus that sells a million copies mm -hmm. and actually that song gets played at like two in the morning mm -hmm. on a radio station who would have thought that they would have Colorado led to this springs exactly so talk to me about the story how that happened so and the song became your you know they were the like we need to we need to keep you alive we need to to pay some bills let's put it on this this uh soundtrack called uh demon night soundtrack and um we'll put it'll be like the 11th song in the demon night soundtrack i'm like i don't really necessarily <laughs> know what demon night is right. maybe maybe you know whatever right like if you really think it's it's going to be appropriate like then fine so they put it on this soundtrack well a dj is called by the the record company like S play something from that soundtrack tonight just play anything from that soundtrack well the dj literally had put it on in the background and was listening it got to song number 11 and he was like wow this is really cool so he puts it on at 2 a.m in the morning in colorado springs and the phones went crazy like who is this who is this band who is filter who is you know blah 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 blah. and so we were literally mixing our record and the next thing you know take a pic or excuse me hey man nice shot was starting to chart so we're like what like and we we're still mixing i'm like that's not even the right mix <laughs> you know and like so uh the song went viral or whatever and by the time we had gotten done with the record it was number one Amazing. In, in cleveland ohio it was like the top five at five and they it was it was in that and my friends were like you you haven't been here dude this whole city's freaking out because of hey man nice shot i'm like really <laughs> like really like it was it was and then i heard it for the first time on the radio and it was so the vindication of hearing that song and just being like see <laughs> you know what i mean incredible it was yeah. a perfect storm obviously yeah so you go on to work with some incredible musicians over the years josh freeze one of the mm -hmm. greatest drummers john mm -hmm. five i think now this is your eighth album that we're on right mm -hmm. and so when you talk about this new record i think you kind of bring it all home where you actually played a lot of the instruments yourself in this record mm -hmm. you produced it yeah so talk to me about the new record which is coming up because you just released a single but this new record is actually kind of bringing it home for you in a way right yeah well about five years ago i decided i'm going to get back into like running everything including the computer like for so long i had engineers that were like the computer guys and i would sit back on the couch and play a guitar and play bass and you know do that kind of thing and i would really rely on these guys and I, they were great dudes to to work with but at some point i got like a a, a a bee in my bonnet about like having to run everything like i wanted to run the software as well as as you know uh create the music and so i just got really really dedicated towards writing by myself and i wrote probably 
six or seven songs completely by myself on the record. Um, but then I still wanted to work with some new friends, like this kid, Zach Monowitz. I found him on Instagram, and I he was playing some crazy guitar part, the guitar part for uh, for The Beaten, our current single that we have out. And it was just like, I'm like, I have to sing over this. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I, I, like, you're crazy. Like, I want I to sing over this. And he was like, all right, cool. So he wrote three other parts, or two other parts, sent them to me, and they were just like, you know, potentially a verse, potentially a chorus, maybe a, maybe a bridge. And then I arranged it and put it together in my computer and then started singing over it. Voila, within a couple of days I was done and it was a perfect song. It was like a great song. So Zach Monowitz was, was another instrumental musician on, on, this, on this record, as well as my friend Sam Tenez, who wrote two songs with me, um, who's this big singer, uh, pop singer that I am friends with. And he wrote uh, Obliteration, uh, as as well as my friends Ian Scott and um, Mark Mark Markson, I think his last name is. I'm sorry, Mark. <laughs> I apologize. Um, but uh, that was uh, another song, and that's going to be another single that we're going to release. But so much of the record was just me with my computer, and um, Elias Mullen plays drums on it. Awesome. And it's being mixed by Brian Virtue right now. So, and we're thinking about a fall release for this record, right? Thinking about early spring. Awesome. Yeah. It's interesting and fascinating when, again, when I was doing some research, you really didn't listen to Nine Inch Nails for like the 30 years yeah. that you weren't in the band because you're yeah. just like, I don't want this to affect yeah. my music at all, right? Well, I I made a, 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 a decision that I was not going to use any synthesizers or any of that um, other than like sampling a guitar, sampling and making strange noises out of a guitar with a sampler. That was like, that was our, our key to to limiting ourselves because we knew the comparisons were going to come. I mean, you know, it's, it's not necessarily nine inch nails. What I was listening to when I was in nine inch nails, we were listening to ministry and skinny puppy, you know, and, and when I was in nine inch nails, I was performing it. And I, I, you know, was, so I knew what it took to be in nine inch nails. So when I did filter, I had to be original. I wanted to make sure that I was completely on my own, because the last thing I wanted to do was to ride Trent's coattails and be dependent on on him for anything, which is just my mindset at the time, you know. Of course, and although if you uh, listen to like take a picture, it doesn't have any yeah. Nine Inch Nails sense. It's complete. It's almost there's a, it's almost yeah. a, a pop song at that. Yeah, point. no, take a picture was the heaviest song I've ever written yeah. because lyrically it was about the darkest places I've ever been as an alcoholic. The the music is the feeling that drugs and alcohol give you this lush gorgeous soundscape soundscape yeah and the lyrics are all about being lost in addiction and could you take my picture because i won't remember is literally like i literally was saying that to people because I, I couldn't remember yeah my life at all when i was drinking you know and um so when i when i was asked to come and play the reunion with nine inch nails i was like you know what i think i should see nine inch nails (laughs) because i haven't seen nine inch nails ever in my life like aside from playing in the band aside from being on stage left or whatever yeah and so 
Um, we went to Santa Barbara, and I asked Tron, I said, do you mind if I go to see Santa Barbara? And he was like, yeah. I was like, this is my first time seeing Nine Inch Nails. And he's like, he's like, oh, my God, that's so crazy. But I literally wanted to make sure that I was never sounding like him at, at, at all. And still, we still got comparisons. You yeah. know, like people were like, dude, you sound like Nine Inch Nails. I'm like, no, we don't. <laughs> I know for a fact we do not sound like Nine Inch Nails. Like I haven't heard them in 30 you years. Know, I haven't listened to it. Like, and, you know, there was, an, there was another thing. Like I was my nickname for three years was Piggy. That song was essentially written about you, possibly? Brian Lee Skang said, a week after I quit, dude's writing songs about you, Rich. He's so furious that I, that I quit. He was really, really pissed that I quit. And he wrote, and he wrote Piggy and-, and Have I, you spoken to him about uh, the I, origin of that I, song ever? I, I, I haven't really, brought up the subject <laughs> right <laughs> but it's like, a hard subject to it's, broach it's I just kind of right? like because he was like i was like is piggy well, me and he was like yeah. you know he didn't really want to answer it right. when i was talking to him but like you know like i was i always thought the song that you could have it all my empire of dirt which was that was the real lesson because once i in inherited filter the the problems of being in a band with hired guns all of those problems showed up and yeah. like you know reared their ugly heads you know like i had guitar players that were pissed because i had you know written all these songs before and they were learning everything and having to listen to me say like dude you're not playing it right you know what i mean like there you know so i had i had in, i had inherited this this mountain of dirt you yeah. know like and that's that's what i brought up with trent i was like that's the song that i feel like maybe i'd I I related to the most, but I kind of avoided the piggy thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. We were talking about uh, a little bit before you came on Army of Anyone, and just was it sobering? You know, I don't know if you were friendly with Scott Wheeland and if you guys, yeah. but was it sobering because you were going through your own challenges with mm -hmm. sobriety at that point to mm -hmm. see what happened to him and obviously how he passed away? Oh yeah, no. I I to give you an example of my sobriety, my first day in rehab, I met Chris Cornell. Wow. And Chris. Had you known Chris before? I, we met in a partying scenario, but like this was the real Chris Cornell, like sober mm. and we were both in trouble and like he was, he was getting ready to do Audio Slave and I was getting ready to, you know, I had just canceled a two year tour and he, he, you know, I was, I was bummed out that it was a 12 step program because I'm an atheist. So I was like, well, fuck, this isn't going to work. I'm going to leave. <laughs> and Chris grabbed me and he said, dude, this is it. This is the only known remedy that like works. So if you want to stay here and be sober with me, that'd be awesome. Like you can't leave. And he kept me in rehab. Mm. And I, to this day, I remember that like, he's like, you got to stay here. You can't leave don't leave me here alone you know like you, you gotta you gotta be sober with me and like because he had 10 days and i had you know two yeah and um so i stayed in rehab because of chris cornell wow and when he passed away that was just another reminder of how amazingly horrible this disease really is and scott we and, and scott yeah. as, as well and scott was another one of those guys i partied with you know like we had a great time with like like but it 
all of a sudden you stop having a great time and it just becomes this horrible like dependency and like it's not fun anymore because drugs worked and then all of a sudden they don't like and it's too late you're addicted and you know i have friends today that are still like to this day drunk alcoholic people and they're you know i have i have you know bandmates that i have you know that i i can't talk to because they're they're drinking all Mm. the time well, 20 years sober, so congrats on that, Thank by the you. way. And we were talking about Army of Anyone. Any chance we'll see uh, any more music one day, possibly? I, I really doubt it. Yeah. I, I Sadly, I think um, I, I think we gave it our best shot when we were doing it. Um, Ray Luzier is an, a huge active member of Korn. Yeah. Um, the Delio brothers have Jeff Gutt, their singer, and they love touring. And um, Robert Delio just put out a great new solo record. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I, I, I had an idea that maybe we could write, collaborate on this song that I wrote called Summer Child, which was, uh, a perfect Army of Anyone song. Like it, it's just sounds totally like Army of Anyone. And, um, I, I played it to them. They both really liked it, but for some reason we just couldn't get it together and, do it yeah you know and so i i i i was hoping to maybe re-release it on vinyl or something like that with an added bonus song or something like that but like there's just no the the delio brothers and and i think ray's ray actually played on summer child because i was like look i'll get ray to play on it ray played on it i was like now you guys come in and do your parts but they didn't want to like work on it the way i work on music which is in a computer and Mm. kind of you know, like, they like to get in a room and I, fly. I, I, I haven't met Zach Monowitz, ah. but yet we've written three songs together. <laughs> right. I've never been in a room with him, period. Amazing. But we've we've worked on all this great music. Yeah. But they're like traditionalists where they really want to play everything together in a room and go over it and rehearse it and try different versions of it and um, I mean, I guess to be fair, if you if you listen to STP, there's such yeah. a heavy Zeppelin influence, yeah. and they just all got in a room and they played. So I yeah. guess probably them getting their head around that method is probably well, a we, little. Well, Army of Any, we demoed everything the way that I do uh, uh, the filter records. So we demoed, and they 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 we programmed all the drums before we had Ray Luzier. We programmed all the drums, but like we wrote all these songs and demoed them in my backyard in my in my house studio and so like they they knew that that's where i was going with them like look i got ray to play on it it sounds great yeah the song is is but i i they for some reason they didn't they didn't take the final thing of like coming into the studio and working on it and i just was like well whatever (laughs) (laughs) well either way i can can do a lot of other things you know (laughs) well either way for the beaten just came out october 14th and the Mm -hmm. new record is coming out in the spring and uh i think it's the first time like we spoke about since 1995 that you did a lot of music on your own Mm -hmm. but you're also playing sick new world we spoke about that corn system Mm -hmm. of a down 2023 Mm -hmm. with skinny puppy so that should be ministry skinny puppy it is just unbelievable death grips uh uh, it's just unbelievable. Flyleaf with Lacey. Um, it is just 
unbelievable. The, Great lineup. The, 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 the festival. We hope. I hope it goes into like day two or something. It like probably that. will. Like I was, we were talking about when we were when we were young at the festival they just mm -hmm. had. And then you're also you're doing Heaven or Hell. I think believe coming up. Heaven and Hell, Heaven in, and hell. in Mexico City, and that's coming up in December. Amazing. Yeah. So hopefully I'll get out to see it one of these shows. Check out the new record. Does it have a title? The new record yet? I, I have a working title called They Got Us Right Where They Want Us At Each Other's Throats, but I think it's too long, and I think I'm going to change it. So, no, I don't have a title <laughs> okay. yet. I was going to call it America, but then I kind of got over being political. Yeah. I I used to post everything all the time and, like, be a, a, just a staunch, you know, activist, but then I kind of backed off on that. And and I I just feel like I want to keep it more universal and, and less topical. As we sit here today on election day, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. On, a, on a fantastic <laughs> election for the Democrats that like we're supposed to be it, just wiped out of you know the House and the yeah, Senate. Yeah. It, it's not. It seems like it may not be going that way though, so we'll see. But it's uh, it's, it's looking good. Yeah. For the, it just it's just. I have a problem with all the MAGA. Yeah, the MAGA yeah, bullshit. of course. Like it's it's too much. Yeah, we need. I just want normal. Dude. Like even DeSantis is, is is somewhat normal compared to Donald Trump. Yeah. Donald Trump is uh, like, disaster. He, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm you know for all of my Republican fans, I apologize. <laughs> I'm just not down with the dude. I'm not down with the Don, bro. <laughs> like, get another guy. Get get someone less crazy. Yeah, I agree. But either way, the record should be out sometime in the spring. We're mm -hmm. thinking maybe March, April. Yeah, and we're gonna tour our balls off. Awesome. Uh, we're gonna tour crazy, and I'm really looking forward to next year. I'm getting ready. I'm riding my bike. I'm doing all the things I need to do to stay fit. And, I love uh, it. Yeah. Any more soundcheck work coming up? By the way. Uh, I'm working on a movie uh, directed by Brian Skiba. It's called Dead Man's Hand, and that will be probably out sometime in the new year as well. And uh, still working my balls off on movie scores. I love movie scores. Love it. You're a busy guy. Busy. I busy. like to keep busy. That's that's yeah. Otherwise, I'll leave resting till when I'm dead. You know? <laughs> Rich, it's a pleasure. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really and appreciate definitely, it. Definitely, and hopefully, I'll see one of these shows coming up. You got it. Awesome. Thank you Thanks so again. Much. Appreciate it. This is Lips LA. Hey, it's Scott. For the beaten is out now. As of October 14th, Richard Patrick of Filter, great guy. They're playing the Sick New World Festival with corn and system of down 2023 the record will be out in spring of next year i appreciate him coming on i appreciate you tuning in thanks as always and if you like the show please make sure you rate and review the show that would be great music theme music by robbie hoppin we will see you soon thanks again Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find the ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.